This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Hey, that's pretty bad. Really bad. Uh, 126 to 119, the Raptors lose to the Utah Jazz despite being up by 17 points. Hard to put into words how disappointing this outcome is, but uh, disappointing serves as a, a fine enough term early on. This game, feckless, hapless, um, extremely disappointing. It started off gangbusters, right? Most of the things that you want to have happen are happening. Scotty Barnes comes out. He hits however many of his first however many shots. He ends up with 32, 14, and 7 in this game. I thought he was sublime. Of course, the shot making slowed down a little bit as the game went on, but he's clearly in this one the Raptors' biggest motivator for what they're doing. You know, I can see people in chat. Everybody's pretty disappointed with this outcome. As far as like... People, yeah, no effects given is what OG3 says in that second half. And that's certainly true. Like Pascal, 7 for 20. Not only was the shot making not where I think we expected to be with Pascal, like he left a lot of points up on the rim. He missed basically every jump shot he looked at. That's disappointing. But I wouldn't critique shot making that much. It was, I think, difficult for him for the first half of the game, trying to kind of figure out his spot next to OG and Scotty, who, man, I thought as far as like the first half of the game, the first however long, they did a fantastic job of finding their own spots in the flow. Pascal had a little bit of trouble. And then at the end, like he scores, what, four points down the stretch with an assist, but he's not able to help the Raptors really in this game. Close down the stretch. I know like you look at this game, he's only like what? Like he's a zero. No plus, no minus. He's right like smack dab in the middle and on these nights when I think that Scotty and Pascal have been in the past at least the the recent past been able to pair together some of their biggest games together it was disappointing not to get that in this one especially since there was so much space for them to find their way to it and obviously the defense down the stretch I thought was really bad and that was not just like Pascal but Pascal the huge gaffe that he made guarding Jordan Clarkson fouling on the three but it was just like allowing driving lines to different guys all night and pascal was guilty of that sure but so was scotty so was og so was schroeder so was gary and it's nice in this game that gary was able to give them more offensive pop it's nice that they were able to get the big scotty game but also something that's extremely worrisome is yaka Pertle. you look at those minutes played again 20 minutes just shy of 21 Two points. Like, sure, he had three assists. Some of the Princeton sets they ran, they worked. But the fact that Jakob is not... We talked about this last game. We've talked about this for a few games now. We've talked about it for a long time, actually. 
the fact that Jakob is not coming in and just being like a no-brainer to go north of 25 minutes. And sometimes he should be at, like, he really should be able to go north of like 32. Like, of course, OG3 says Jakob getting outplayed by Kessler is percent irony. I, probably you meant perfect, like perfect irony. It is to some degree. Um, the Raptors traded for Thad Young. They traded the pick. Well, they did a pick swap that would have allowed one of Nemhard or Kessler to join the Raptors instead of Coloco. And they ended up the next season trading, you know, first round pick, top six protected. They ended up trading a 2023 second round pick and a 2025 second round pick for Jakob Pertl. And he's still a guy you can only play 20 minutes, just shy of 21. How? You know, Walker Kessler comes off the bench and plays 25. He's a plus 17, man. He goes for 10 and 8. Um, Raptors fan says Kessler schooled us last season too. He certainly did. Um, Walker Kessler has been a very impressive big man to start out his career. I don't think he would be like a, a no-brainer for the Raptors every time, but as far as like a guy you can take a flyer on at the back end, uh, he obviously would be great on the team. But we're not supposed to obviously uh, uh, just like wish cast about what's happening. We have to deal with what is you know, what is the the concrete, the reality? And that is that Jakob Pertl hasn't been able to provide, you know, enough pop from the center position. Defensively, he hasn't been able to bring enough. Offensively, his limits, I think he does bring enough when capable. Certainly, he does. But he's not always that capable. And he is a player who is defined by his limitations. Joseph Patterson says the miseducation of Darko Rykovich we also have Phoebe Bridgers, and I believe that's Fred again behind me, courtesy of my friend Malcolm. We watched the game together. This is his little uh, studio. Um, OG, let's focus on that. I think a strong driving game. He goes two of three from downtown. That had been maybe not so great over the past handful of games. He had been on a really cold street streak from downtown. And in this game, I thought that he really did a fantastic job of fitting in offensively. Sometimes. OG can like pass up a shot and but again to the point I made about Pirtle is that like Pirtle is defined by his limitations a lot of players are and like even Jason Tatum is when it gets down to the nitty-gritty of the NBA finals like his you know stagnation as a passer comes up and that's because that's what defenses want to take away and it's been like uh it's been tough man uh OG though overall I think that he played a really strong offensive game Defensively, I think he had a couple really, really impressive uh, defensive possessions. But overall, I think that OG, like the team, has been failing defensively and like playing way below their standard. And this is a standard that they, you know, it's to even call it their standard, I don't really know, right? This is not a standard they've played up to. This is a standard that everybody's thinking like, well, what are the two big defensive stretches? What, like a 10-game stretch to start this season? We're almost on game 30 at this point. They're 11 and 18. Maybe like the 20-game the stretch or 23-game stretch post-trade deadline last season. Fred Van Vliet was on that team. You know, the, the post-All-Star stretch of 2021-22, that team was just way different in how it operated and how it achieved things. This Raptors team despite its defensive talent and the predictions that were made with that in mind, and I a prediction I made, expectations of, you know, a decent defense, the floor of a decent defense and perhaps an elite one, 
It just hasn't been the case. And these Raptors cannot look like in a game where they score 119, win it. Win that game. There's no excuses. You scored 119. You get the 32-point Scotty superstar performance. Like, even on Pascal's worst night, offensively, he chips in 19-9-6. and six. He doesn't really turn the ball over. So, and like OG, you get a great game from. Dennis, he goes for double digits, whatever. Gary gives you 16 points in a hurry off the bench. And you lose this game on the defensive side of the floor. Like, ipso facto, Chris Boucher has nine points in 13 minutes. He hits every shot. He's a minus 11. What was happening? Sure, he's making a larger chunk of his shots off the bench than usual. Other guys aren't scoring as much as they should. But the big thing is that this team is not competing at the level defensively that they're supposed to be competing at. There's no other way to slice it. You know, it's not even like they gave up a whole bunch of offensive rebounds. It's not even like, oh, this is Peach, by the way. I know people like cats on the stream, so... This is Peach, um, Malcolm's cat. But anyway, I know people obviously have expectations for this Raptors team defensively. I know they have expectations for how they're supposed to hold a team that is like, is Kelly Olenek a good player? I do think so. Is he a guy who should be radically, you know, destroying game plans at the power forward position? No. John Collins, like he hit a couple threes in this game, but he goes for 10 and 5. Colin Sexton? Grinds his way to 16 points. Chris Dunn is the starting point guard. This is a guy scoring eight points, right? Jordan Clarkson comes off the bench for 30, man. Crazy. Walker Kessler, the quickest 10 points you've ever seen in your life. It's just, like, tough. And the breakdowns are on the back end, sure. We're seeing breakdowns happening. And some of it is, like, rotations are late. Some of it is that they're not getting to the ball quick enough but some of it is also like they're just not strong enough at the point of attack and when you don't have really strong point of attack defense you have to be able to on some level rely on the back line to not only meet the dribble higher make guys pick it up make passes out or when they pick it up early get into their steps and when they start their steps you have a rim protector who can track those steps and block people and if the rim protector is being brought over and there's a big dropping into the dunker spot, you need a guy coming in from the weak side and tagging him and kind of trying to like chop block him and make sure that that lay down isn't there. These are like baseline defensive principles. And I don't think Darko is failing to preach those. I think he definitely is. I think that the team is failing to enact those. Now, do I think Darko... It's unfortunate that he's lost his grip on getting this team to play that level of defense. It it does suck because there's only so much you can judge coaches on. The rotations are the easiest one that people pay attention to. The overall style and vibe of the team is another one. And also you get like testimonials from you get testimonials from players who say like this guy's great. I really like him. That's good too, but also it's that coaches need to be able to, on some level, speak to the players, get them raw rod up, wanting to go out there and like go to war for this stuff. And the Raptors to start this game, Peach, <laughs> the Raptors to start this game, they didn't really go to war. They were just making shots. And then when the shots kind of slowed down, there was no war. There was no nothing. There was no compete level. Maybe I shouldn't be saying 
war. You know, it's not like that. It's not that heavy. But they just like, as far as what they're doing defensively, the compete level is way lower than it needs to be. And we can see this in a million different things. Like, I lose count noticing what's going wrong defensively. What, how, what do the Knicks do to, to make sure that they play good defense? They meet the ball early. They rotate off of guys, and then they rotate afterwards. They can have as many nitty, gritty guards at the point of attack. I think, you know, quickly is a good point of attack defender, but he doesn't even start or play that that much. You know, they kind of piecemeal together defense with a lot of effort, a lot of gumption. That's a good word. Instead of feckless, we're talking about gumption going forward. Hopefully these guys can turn it around. But as far as what they're able to do, the Raptors, I can't really point to one thing that they do well defensively. That's a big problem. And that is when you look at what this team needs to be doing, that's like a huge, huge part of what success is. You know, so we have a comment here from Andre Silva that says, no coach is fixing this, the problems with this current roster. And I agree. I think that the Raptors, they could have, you know, peak Popovich or whoever the hell you think the best coach of all time is in here. They're going to be defined by their limitations to some degree. And then we have the opposing po point of view from Guru Shisha, who says the Knicks also have a coach that's respected and a bit feared. I do think that depending on the coach, you can get more out of a team. Certainly, depending on the coach, you can play more, hmm, I don't know, more impressive styles of basketball. You can be more on the cutting edge. And we've actually seen what that looks like with the Raptors because Nick Nurse was a cutting edge coach, but he also interpersonally lost the team and not his decisions as a coach, like the, his rotations, the minutes played, anything like that. That's not what ended up having him and the Raptors part ways. It was the interpersonal stuff. Um, it, it's no surprise to anybody that when, you know, Nick comes back to town, I was there when Scotty was asked about it. I was there when Nick was asked about it and neither guy's like, why would we have talked? Why would we have done anything? You know, they're like, there's no love lost there. And Scotty's the future evidence clearly by his 32 points, 14 boards and seven assists. Right. And Nick is a really good coach. I said that all last season, but I said like, he's clearly losing the, the locker room and he's kind of like you know, these players are becoming disillusioned with him and like the rock star status and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's uh Coco has something um, a really, really insightful. I think you sum up uh, kind of exactly what it is. There's many ways to lose at coaching and only a few ways to get it right. It seems, I think that's really insightful. I think that's true. And also coaches are the easiest to point to when things aren't going well um, because it's like, well, you make the decision, you decide how the team plays. But they also don't have that much control because they can say what they want. They can preach their principles. They can say all this kind of stuff. And the team can act it out in, their, in the best way they're able to. And it might not be what the coach envisioned. It also might be that like they don't exactly do what the coach envisions. And as far as Darko... I'm not out on Darko. I know a lot of people are out on Darko, but I don't think Darko is doing much worse than a lot of coaches would be doing. Somebody mentioned Eric Spolstra would be able to turn this team into something. I think Eric Spolstra is one of the greatest coaches of all time. It wouldn't surprise me if he was able to get more out of this team. Um, but this roster is 
very flawed. And we see this show up. But it's also tough to look at a team that allows, you know, this many points to 126 points to the Utah Jazz that allows so many different players to get their game off. Jordan Clarkson going for 30 in 30 minutes. And you're just like, you're looking at a team that wasn't able to handle a multitude. Like, they can't guard Laurie Markkinen coming off of a curl? Why? You can't, you can't communicate that coverage? Why? It's like his first score of the game was like a dunk. It's because Pirtle and Scotty don't know how to communicate their coverage. And Pirtle basically ends up screening Scotty. And then Markkinen just turns the corner and dunks. That like, what? <laughs> I mean, that's terrible. And I can't tell you right now. I'd have to go back and watch like who and probably talk to the players like who's responsible for that mishap defensively. But I don't mean to blame either Jakob or Scotty just to say that like, Guys are miscommunicating on this team. It's leading to breakdowns. Greg F. says, Laurie Markkinen is extremely good and unique with his size. He certainly is, man. Laurie Markkinen is one of my favorite players in the league to watch. He's huge. He works well off ball. He bangs triples. He's like, and I thought he was like 6'10". They said seven foot on the broadcast. I had to look it up. He's massive, man. And he's tough to bottle up to some degree, but also he's not super creative as far as his handle. So what do you want to do if you're guarding Laurie Markton? You want to press up into him, especially if you have backline help for like a back cut or whatever. You need to be, be more present. You can't let that guy get loose and start walking to the rim. You can't let that guy open for a three. And I thought that the Raptors, like, you could see possessions, whether it was Pascal or whether it was Scotty, who both of them saw a lot of Laurie in this game, or even OG. Guys just weren't playing, in my mind, the right way against him. And of course, that can be intertwined into a larger defensive approach that the team wants to play in a team concept. But as far as what they were doing, I thought that it wasn't good. I thought that their approach wasn't strong. And it's no wonder that this guy like can go to 30 with five assists and nine rebounds. He is a good player. He is. I really like Laurie. And I am worried to some degree from the Raptors' assets and value perspective. Like, if Larry Markkinen is on the market and people are saying, well, if we want that big scoring wing, people might ante up for Laurie instead of Pascal. You know, that's, that's maybe part of the worry. Because Laurie is awesome. And he's young. And who knows how good he gets over the course of the rest of his year, of, of, his, of this year and going forward. But also on top of that, I think the Raptors did themselves no favors in this game. I thought that the attention to detail was poor from the players. I don't know what was communicated. I'm not in Toronto asking Darko, like, hey, what was the game plan here? Because it seems like it was kind of all over the place and you guys didn't know how to guard the opposing team's best player in their starting lineup. And also, you didn't know how to guard the opposing team's best player off the bench in Jordan Clarkson. Those guys both went for 30. That's where the game is lost defensively. And that's a tough pill to swallow. You know, when you look at this game, like, what do you say? Jordan Clarkson was allowed big space to play in. Like, I, I know Jordan Clarkson is a capable playmaker. Like, he had six assists in this game. But I also think that the Raptors probably should have shown more help on those drives. But they didn't. Like, one of the, one of the late layups he made, this is one of the biggest indicators, actually. I played... I played basketball today and I was really disappointed. I got scored on, but I got scored on on the opposite side of the rim and no help came. If I get scored on the same side, the strong side, and help doesn't come and I keep them on the strong side, I'm like, 
there was no need for help to come because I kept him on the one side. I'm there to contest the shot. And what disappointed me was Scotty wasn't on an island. And it wasn't that Scotty got beat by a bursty guard that's going to happen. It's that Clarkson beat him going left from the right side and no help came over. He went to the opposite side of the rim. There needs to be help. That has to be present. And this is late in the game, you know? Like, would it be great if Scotty could just stonewall him? Sure. But also, is it tough, a tough pill to swallow that there's no help present there? Is the shooting that good on the floor that you can't rotate to the bucket? I don't know. Do they just have unbelievable, you know, confidence in Scotty to maybe like erase the shot that's about to go up? I'm not sure. But to me, that play in particular is a bad indicator. The first play of the game in particular is a bad indicator. These are these things are tough, man. It's uh this game was really disappointing. I remember thinking when they were up and it started creeping closer and then I believe they took the lead at 106-104, I was like, man, people are not going to be happy with this one. This one is supposed to be in the bag. Up 17, the Jazz I like a lot of the Jazz guys. I do. But like Colin Sexton, I enjoy. John Collins, I enjoy. Kelly Olynyk, I enjoy. Markinen, I think, is awesome. Jordan Clarkson, I think, is like super, super entertaining and like a hell of a spark plug scorer. Um, Ochai Ogbaji, I think, is like awesome. He's also a model. He has like perfect facial structure for what it's worth. And, and obviously, Walker Kessler is super good too. They have a bunch of like intriguing guys. But if you're up 17 on this team, you need to close the door. And they didn't. You let this Jazz team come back into it. No gumption whatsoever. Tough game, man. And uh, Guru asks if I'm basically saying they've tuned out Darko to be this bad on D. They've tuned out somebody because they showed early on in the season the ceiling of it, right? They were one of the best in the early going, of course, but... In the early going, they were one of the best defenses in the NBA. Unequivocally, statistically supported, and on tape, it looked good. They are not able to produce those performances against quality opponents anymore. And and even like quality opponents, like halfway decent opponents. Their last good defensive game was against who? The Charlotte Hornets without Bridges or LaMelo Ball? Not real. That's not real defense. Like, if they score 99 points, great. Your defensive rating is going to soar, and it did, but that doesn't mean that, like, you're back in it at all. And whether they've tuned out Darko, whether they've, you know, it's a slow, you know, the slow burn of, like, this team has been trying to make similar iterations of itself work over time, and it just hasn't been able to, and guys are kind of looking around and sensing maybe the end of things. I'm not sure, but the compete level is much worse defensively. The help side stuff is much worse defensively. And just being able to like rotate in unison with one another is much worse defensively. I also think that like the technique at the point of attack has gotten sloppier. I think the sloppiest has been Dennis. I think that he was really tight at the start of the season. I thought that he was making great decisions. I thought when I was watching him early on, I was like, this is the marriage of a quick twitch elite point guard 
playing like really strong, technically sound defense, sliding around, like getting the arm and crawling over the top of screens, staying on guys' backs, staying in the play, disrupting stuff, keeping that hand high so they can't make the pick and pop pass, funneling guys. Like I thought, hey, that's all like good technique. And he also has the athleticism to be very impactful. But like the technique is like waxed and waned lately. And like Pascal, he's being asked to hold up at the point of attack. He doesn't as well as he used to. Scotty Barnes is being asked to like switch out on guys like Jordan Clarkson late in games. And he can't really do that. OG has even let it slip, right? And Jakob, I talked about this all season. and I thought he turned the corner on it. But he's not able to set the edges as the low man in the screen coverages. He's not really that impactful as a help side rotator only for like five minutes at a time in a choice game. And I'm looking at this defense and saying where are they defending what are they doing and you know mac i know you're having a conversation in chat but i'm just going to swoop in like you say i think we need to start believing that the raptors are an 11 and 18 team instead of saying they are better than their record i think this team is better than their record but they are their record and they aren't that much better than their record what was the team like the the heat in the between the 20 maybe like 2016 or something they were like what 33 and 13 after being like 30 oh 31 and 13 and then they went like 13 and 31 the in the inverse 13 and 31 and then 31 and 13 or something like that they turned it around to such a great degree and the raptors aren't that like i don't think so it's uh it's tough man but you know it's uh it's a difficult thing daniel wolfgruber says to be honest i can't hear this scotty cheering anymore he's a great player no doubt but always hearing that the raptors have to build their roster around him that's myopia in my opinion sorry i wonder um you i guess you could say that the raptors don't necessarily have to build around scotty Typically, the approach, you know, Nesta says 31 and 11 for what it's worth for everybody who's hearing me talking about the heat. But if the approach isn't to build around Scotty, which is the straightforward approach, typically what a lot of teams will do is if they have a young rookie scale contract guy who's vying for like all star candidacy and looks like he'll project to be an all NBA player, most front offices will look at that and say, that is the guy we're building around going forward and we will pivot if a better player presents themselves. You know, like the Raptors of old were building around Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. They kept plugging pieces in and they got to win a championship because they eventually got to pivot to Kawhi Leonard. Now you don't get the Kawhi Leonard pivot very often, but they also got to stay relevant as a winning team a little bit longer because Pascal Siakam as the 27th pick developed into an all NBA player presented himself as a pivot point. And so the Raptors right now, probably don't have another pivot point outside of Scotty. And I think Scotty is good enough to make people think like build around him. That doesn't mean that you, everything ends and begins with Scotty at all. I don't think people are like just cheering him on exclusively. I think people are disappointed that the team is 11 and 18. I think people, people should be disappointed at the prospect of all time franchise greats, perhaps leaving the franchise, but also if you want to be a team that competes going forward, you have to be proactive in how you build and you have to be thoughtful in how you build. And there's no way that the Raptors going forward don't consider Scotty, if not the whole, at least a large piece of it. And I don't think that's like cheerleading. I don't think that's nonsensical. 
But I think that it's important that we do, or the Raptors do that. I think it's important to do that in mind. But you can always pivot if a better player or a better opportunity presents itself. Um, like the Kawhi Leonard is one of the biggest pivots we've seen from this franchise, right? Um, the Rudy Gay trade was a pivot where the Raptors weren't sure who they would be building around. And then what happened? Because they tried to trade Kyle Lowry too. Kyle Lowry presented himself as a pivot point. And even he, the team wouldn't bet on necessarily, like he almost left a few times. He almost signed elsewhere. He almost got traded more like farther down the road. Even in the championship season, there was rumors about him being swapped from Mike Conley. And I don't think the Raptors front office ever fully grasped just how good Kyle Lowry was, just how important he was, but he was at least part of it. And Scotty at the very, like at the very least is part of whatever they're doing. And um, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I think. But I, like, I appreciate those comments because it gives us uh, an opportunity to kind of like check down and analyze, you know, the perception of team building, all that kind of stuff. Nesta says the roster management has been appalling for a few years to have gotten to this point. The continuous mantra of patience has worn thin without results. That's probably correct. You know, I, I did a video basically at this time last year where I looked at every transaction that the Raptors did post-championship and came away being able to rationalize a lot of the decisions that the Raptors made at the time and say, look back and say, I thought this was okay at the time, not a home run, but passable. And so what happened was the Raptors ended up making a lot of deals and moves that at the time didn't seem like home runs, but seemed passable and then as time went on they became went from passable to untenable and then you look at a roster that's just severely depleted in terms of draft capital in terms of back like back of the rotation prospects and in terms of like impact and win now stuff and uh yeah matt hogg says colangelo doesn't get enough credit colangelo this was zach Lowe wrote about this it wasn't necessarily colangelo but colangelo's analytics team said hey we should trade for kyle lowry he's a top 10 point guard hiding in plain sight and credit to Kelangelo for saying like hey you know uh okay fine like we'll go for it gary forbes in a first and you know the rest is history um yeah that's kind of the thing um somebody said masai told you with a straight face that uh auto porter jr would help our three-point shooting it's like he would if he were healthy you know and messiah said a lot of things to me that i've uh disagreed with but of course like it's there's some perspective there and i like it was odd that you know before last season ended when i was talking to messiah and i asked about you know the failures at the back end of the roster and you know it was kind of around the conversation of nurse who had just been let go but it was also around the conversation of like, he mentioned Delano Banton and Jeff Doughton. And he mentioned like, we want our players to have chances. And then Masai made decisions as a front office personnel that Banton didn't come back and neither did Jeff Doughton. So sometimes Masai is just talking, man. Like that guy is really, really just talking. Um, but that's the job, right? Because like, we can't, you know, like media, fans, whatever it is, you can't force the team to do anything you know like it's it's in the team's best interest to you know operate in a way that makes the fans happy and want to buy stuff and all that kind of stuff yes of course but 
on top of that, you know, it is a sports team. And so calls to action don't mean anything. People like the the Lakers and the Clippers, didn't they like protest or boycott them like outside of Staples Center, right? Like that's happened before. I don't think the Raptors have anything like that currently, but it's just an example that this stuff does happen. And it doesn't mean anything to front office personnel. It's not like politics where it's like taxpayer money and like there's ethics and all this kind of stuff involved. Masai's just like, no, I'd like this basketball player more than this one, you know? <laughs> and that's that's what it is. And and Bobby Webster to the same degree. You can't elicit change from like yelling it. As much as people um probably like hope that they could, you know? Um from Sam Barefoot Quote, if we collect extra toes for Otto Porter, will he become a better player? Reference to injury from last year, end quote. And with a $5 donation. Thank you, Sam. That's incredibly kind. I did enjoy the bit of saying that he lost his toe. Uh, Otto Porter Jr. has been a great disappointment. Not because he's like a disappointment in himself. It's just that he had like one healthy season in like six years. And it happened to be... As he was load managed to some degree with the Warriors, he was awesome. His game has always been awesome. It's just the health as it's kind of degraded over time. And he just hasn't had it at all with the Raptors. I think it made sense. I thought that that signing, I was like, this makes a lot of sense as a signing. He does exactly what the Raptors need when he's healthy. But that health has not been a guaranteed thing at all. It's been tough, man. This team, covering them, is a lot different than covering the, the good Raptors teams because this team is not good necessarily. Uh, in fact, they're probably close to bad. And if they're not bad, they've been mediocre. 11 and 18, it, it says one thing more than the rest. Uh, yeah. Uh, someone says Otto said he wanted to take us to the finals. Remember that? I did not see that quote, but that's really funny. Um, I like the confidence. Obviously, that didn't happen. Probably won't happen for a while. And if the Raptors do get back to the finals, the iteration of the team will be wildly different, presumably. But that feels like a podcast. It's a little bit shorter, but I got uh, stuff to do for myself over the holidays. So. 33, 35 minutes is as much as you guys are getting out of me. Um, thanks for tuning in with me. Uh, for the people listening, the precious charge, Coco says, yes. Um, and then that spurred on a conversation with myself and my friends about taking charges in like men's league or women's league games. I'm not pro charge in uh, men's league for what it's worth. Um, people talking about Darko's comments. I will look at that and be able to talk about them when we talk on the 27th. But I haven't seen, obviously, I can't take a break to watch it and be like, hey, what's Darko saying? So uh, I'll keep that in mind. Um, thanks to everybody for watching. You guys are always the best. Thank you for the insightful, um, interesting. And there was a lot of uh, not insightful as in, uh, you know, I. I-N-S-I-G-H-T, but I-N-C-I-T-E. There's a lot of stuff in the chat tonight, a lot of nastiness. I saw it. Um, everybody had to get the, the emotions out, the anger out. I get it. Um, but yeah, thanks everybody for listening. It's been a blast. Um, way easier to do it with everybody, you know, walk, watching and bouncing off. So just uh, this is my last before everyone does their holiday thing. Whether you celebrate or not, I just hope you enjoy the next few days, whether it's with family or not. I hope you enjoy the next few days. Everyone, 
live a beautiful life until we talk again. You're the very best. And uh, hell yeah, whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye. I'll see ya.